The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. And I'm Rebecca Lindland. So I join you guys uh, from the mobile podcast studio uh, this week. Um, but let's talk about what you've been driving. So, uh, Rebecca, what have you been in? Uh, this week was a tough week. You know, I struggled through driving my very first Maserati. I was in the Levante <laughs> S Gran Luso, uh, which has the V6 3.0 liter engine in it. And uh, it, it, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. However... <laughs> Well, you know, we, we make these sacrifices so the listeners don't have to. Well, exactly. And and I'll tell you, and anybody that knows me well is going to be shocked by this, but <laughs> the the Maserati, uh, top, this, this particular one tops out at about $103,000. And I got to tell you, for the first time in my life, I prefer the $20,000 less uh, Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, we were talking about this earlier before we actually started recording, too, and there's a distinct reason why you prefer the Alpha more, and it has nothing to do with money. Okay, you're right. It has everything to do with the fact that the Alpha has almost 75 more horsepower. <laughs> right? See, so money and power. Like, that's that's the dichotomy here. That is the way to uh, my heart, but, for sure. <laughs> you know, and I, I, haven't, I haven't been in uh, a Maserati that I can remember. Um, so how was it? So it was great. I mean, one thing I will say that, uh, so last June, I was at the Fiat Chrysler uh, annual 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 investors meeting uh, over in Italy. And we got a chance to tour the Maserati factory, which was really cool. And one of the things that struck me was that the double pane glass provides such a quiet cabin. Like, so we're in the super loud factory. And when I closed the door, it just shut everything out. It was amazing. And the car, the Levante certainly had that same feel, you know, it's, it's a good size SUV. It's heavy. I don't know exactly how much it weighs, but it, 
it drives heavy and the steering you know was was responsive but there was sort of this fun playfulness in the in the Stelvio that the Levante was missing a little bit for me. I did try and keep it in sport mode as much as possible because that gives you that incredible thrum 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 exhaust note. <laughs> and I actually I was actually driving it out of the neighborhood quite early in the morning and I turned it off. I, I turned the sport mode off because it's so loud. <laughs> so it's a little bit like a Harley-esque kind of feel to it but you know it's a fantastic vehicle it was it was it's be i think it's beautiful i love the interior uh but i can't say that it made me want to go out and buy one like the stelvio does yeah what what, which engine was in the levante in the in the luso is that the v8 no it's actually the v6 yeah so it's the v6 3.0 liter 424 horsepower and i'm i would love to drive the v8 for sure I'd love to see how that was. Yeah, I I had a chance um, last June, um, you know, as part of the uh, Fiat Chrysler's annual What's New event that they did here. For the first time, they they actually did uh, two days, and the first day was uh, focused on Alfa Romeo and Maserati uh, at the. Oh, M1 I couldn't concourse. go to the first day. That's right. I could only go to the second day. You're absolutely yeah. right. And so they they had some drive loops available with the uh, with the Levante, and I I drove one you know for about fifteen minutes, um, which which wasn't much granted, but um, it, you know I I agree with what you said. You know it it does feel uh, much heavier. It doesn't have that you know lighter, much more nimble, more sporting feel. It's clearly more much more of a of a luxury vehicle. Um, especially in the in the Lusso form, they also have the GTS, which has uh, the V8. You know, it's a Ferrari designed engine, and the, the V6 is also designed by Ferrari. Uh, but it it definitely does not have the same kind of feel that you get in the the Stelvio, which is considerably smaller and lighter. It, it is, which also has a Ferrari engine. Well, I yeah. can tell you, you know, the exhaust note I think reflects the Ferrari roots of the vehicle, uh, but. There's, it's almost, it's the Levante is almost more serious, <laughs> you know. Like, I feel like the Stelvio, I feel like the the Levante is is uh, is Prince Prince William, and the Stelvio is Prince Harry. <laughs> okay. Stelvio, right? So let's see. The, so the Levante has a bald spot. Got it. <laughs> uh, but so, help me out. Is that the one? Is there one that's still um, sharing underpinnings with the the Grand Cherokee and the Mercedes ML? Or have they, they they never they never did that. Oh, they um, didn't. I thought that no, was what, the, the Levante. I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think the Levante, the production Levante, is actually based off of the uh, the Ghibli platform. Oh, okay. Uh, back right. several, back about six or seven years ago, when they first showed. Uh, a Maserati SUV concept at the Detroit Auto Show. At that time, you know, they talked about uh, it was going to be based off the Grand Cherokee platform, but then they went a completely different direction with it. Because they're Italians, and that's what they do. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey! So I'm like, half Italian. You got to be careful I, I, I there. Get a, I got Sicilian. That's where I say that because I can. Hey, yeah. I, I was I was born, you know, less than a hundred miles from the Italian border. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
You're, yeah. you're more Italian than we are. <laughs> uh, so, but the, at least though, I mean, I hope that at $103,000 and all the luxury with the Ferrari V6 and stuff, it's still, if, does it feel like it's worth it? Or would you be shopping for, a, you know, a Cayenne or, um, you know, something else sort of in that same realm, Range Rover? Yeah, I I probably would lean towards the Cayenne or the McCann, a souped-up McCann, uh, you know, a mid-range Cayenne, uh, just because it just had that more fun to drive. Now, with that being said, the sport mode was a blast. I mean, the sport mode was just fun. And it's, you know, that engine, again, it's sort of like a Harley where it's just distinctive and you know that you're driving something significant and your neighbors know that you're driving something <laughs> significant as well. Um, the entertainment system, the the interface, the HMI was horrible and frustrating <laughs> as heck. Um, so, you know, it's not a car that you would buy uh, with that in mind. Um, but it's... Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's one of those things like, I really, really wanted to just love roll, this. Just put the windows down and listen to the engine. <laughs> exactly. I, re- I wanted to what? love this car. I wanted to love it. And I liked it a lot. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you finally get to go on your dream date with your handsome guy and maybe he's still really handsome, but the personality wasn't quite as fun as you were hoping for. It's, it was kind of like that. <laughs> Yeah, so you, you fell in you fell in like with it. I, that's okay. I, mean, I, I fell in an I'll, awful lot of like with it. Yes, yeah. and I was and, sad and, to I see it go. I guess when I think about it, because I, I don't think about it often as sort of a contender, because for whatever reason, Maserati's been kind of quiet, at least in my mind. Um, it makes me wonder, you know, what what it's bought for. And, and I think part of it is that it's bought for the fact that it's a Maserati. Um, and it's, the, you know, it's the family Maserati. So that's that's helpful in areas where that kind of thing is is important. Um, what are do we know what its sales numbers are like? Is it does it do well for for Maserati? They, I think the sales are pretty nominal, to put it bluntly. Yeah, I would think they're, so. They're they're not in the U.S. at least they're not great. And you know, I got to tell you, when we think about competitive vehicles, uh, a vehicle that I would be much more inclined to go towards would be the Mercedes AM, the GLE, uh, particularly the SUV coupe with the AMG engine. That is another fine, fine example of just all sorts of fun, all sorts of fun. And again, why the coupe? I I love the coupe. I just, I love that one. Um, I, I wrote an article uh, for Forbes about the fact that the SUV version, uh, and this is a bit repetitive, so I apologize in advance, but the SUV version is like going out to dinner with your brother, whereas the SUV coupe version is like going out to dinner with the hot guy that you're dating. And so your brother's best friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of, of, of competitors, um, I think that the Maserati really may struggle a bit. Uh, against key competitors yeah just uh, i just checked the uh, specs and uh it it weighs in at 4650 pounds which you know for that segment is is about it's about about typical it's not particularly heavy 
But it drives heavy, though, right, Sam? I mean, that's yeah. that wasn't just me. Yeah. No, you're right. It it doesn't it doesn't feel light on its feet. Like you know, the Stelvio definitely feels a lot lighter on its feet. And frankly, even even a Grand Cherokee, you know, which you know doesn't weigh that much less, you know, and depending on the configuration, is is pretty comparable to that. Um, you know, feels a lot more nimble. I think. Yeah. So that's so. Again, I, it's a beautiful vehicle, uh, but I didn't feel like. You know, I, you know I, just, I, I liked it a lot. That's how I felt. Some some cars just, you know, it's the same as, as romantic interests. They're just for looking at. Yeah. That's, that's okay. <laughs> exactly. um, Sam, what are you driving? Well, uh, but to, to answer your, your question, though, about uh, sales, oh, uh, all right. yeah. it, it looks like uh, in, uh, in 2018, uh, where'd it go here now? Uh, they sold 4,595 Levantes in the U.S., so that's yeah. not terrible. I mean, what does what does the brand do overall? Do they do like fifteen thousand or so? Uh, they did. They they don't break out the uh, the numbers by model, but since uh, it you know that's the only utility they have. Uh, the cars, the combination of the Ghibli and the uh, Quattroporte was about six uh, sixty seven hundred roughly. So you know it's it's almost as much as the uh, as the the uh, the cars, but. Uh, you know, it's what about twelve thousand, eleven thousand, yeah. about eleven thousand total. So yeah, so not, like one Ford plant in a day. Yeah, <laughs> I will say though, you know, in terms of being a distinctive vehicle, it certainly is. You know, it's so if you want to, if you want to show up to the country club in something that not everybody is driving, like a black Range Rover. Then, That's true. You know, a white Maserati Levante certainly makes more of a statement. And so, yeah, you yeah. know, there there is that side of it as well. And you're not going to go wrong. It's not a bad choice of vehicle. It's just that you know, it's just different than it's just it's just a a, a heavier vehicle. It dri- it just drives heavier. And some people like that. Some people want that gives them confidence. You know, this that yeah. feeling. So. Uh, you know, but it certainly is very distinctive. It's that, it's that gravitas. Yes. Yes. He- heavy on the on the gravity part of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what, what do you have something with gra- gravitas? Gravity? This uh, I I did have something with some gravitas, uh, but it didn't feel like it had quite as much gravity pulling it down, uh, which is the uh, the the new the 2019 Kia K900. Uh, you know, and this is the second generation of the K900. The, the the original one was derived from the original Hyundai Genesis Coupe platform, and this one shifts over to the platform that's under the new uh, Genesis G80, and it's much much better. I mean, this was a really nice car. I liked yeah, it's it. It's got a like lot. actual structural rigidity. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, where the old yeah. K900 felt very flexy. Yeah, you know, it's it's got a 3.3 liter twin turbo V6, um 365 horsepower, 376 foot pounds of torque. Um you know, and because it's a, you know, it's a direct injected turbo, it's got lots of torque down low and then all the way through the through the rev range. Um you know, so it just it pulls wherever you are. Um 8-speed automatic. It's the one I had was the the luxury trim level um with all-wheel drive. Uh, which was handy because we got a bunch of snow while I had it, and that that worked out really well. Um, the The interior on this thing, it's 
it's so nice the materials and the the finish and everything you know it's funny you know we've talked about cadillac before and how cadillac vehicle cadillac cars and utilities you know for their price point they you know the the interiors just don't seem as nice as they should um you know compared you know relative to the competition this one, the the K nine hundred, is definitely fighting well above its weight class. Uh, you know, it, the 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 trim level that I had had beautiful uh, open pore wood trim, really nice leather. Um, you know, he heated and cooled seats. Although I didn't really need the cooled seats, but heated steering wheel. Uh, you know, and those are those are things that you know, like some other cars now, uh, they turn on automatically when the ambient temperature is below. Uh, you know, below about 40 degrees. So that was, that was very handy. Um, you know, it's the back seat is just cavernous in this thing. Uh, you know, so it's, it's an, it's just as nice to spend time in the back as in the front. Um, the design, you know, I mean, this Kia, you know, is just killing it with their designs lately, I think, you know, and like other, um, uh, like other Kias, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, we've seen a little bit of a little bit more divergence, you know, among as you go from one nameplate to another, you know, there's still the those those cues there, like the the um, is it the what do they call the the grill design, the tiger? Oh, the tiger nose, yeah. The tiger nose tiger grill, uh, you know, so you still have that that <clears throat> distinctive uh, Kia grill shape. But the headlights are separated from it, you know, like in the in the past where they butted up or on some other models where they butt up right against the grill. You know, so there's sheet metal all the way around the headlights. The design of the headlights and the taillights really looks good. You know, it's just a lot of really nice detailing in this thing. And, well, I think you know, that's that's what makes the car feel luxurious at no matter you know, no matter what price it actually is. And that's something that it's not just Kia. Other brands are pretty good at it right now, too. But Kia is really really good at it they're, they're putting a lot of energy there so when you when you look at the car and touch the materials when you're in the interior and stuff just just the choices that they have made makes it feel special yes and that's absolutely. really really important you know and, and that uh, they are i agree with you they're, they're doing a fantastic job yeah so i yeah. actually oh i'm sorry Sam. Uh, go ahead rebecca so i drove the k900 in korea back in april uh, and this was, it was the U.S., I mean, sorry, it was the Korean spec, so it was technically the K9, which is what they call right. that. But, um, you know, just looking back at the article I wrote, it right away the interior really caught my eye because it was just beautiful. And you just want to spend time in it. It was just incredibly comfortable, and, and I loved it. Yeah, and, you know, some of, the, some of the other interesting details they've done, you know, uh, for example, you know, when you, uh, you know, it has uh, adjustable side bolsters on the seats, for example, power adjustable, you know, so you can cinch them up. And, you know, I generally prefer to have them, you know, a little more snug, you know, to hold me in place. And when you put it in sport mode, you know, it keeps the side bolsters nice and tight. But if you switch it over to switch the drive mode over to comfort, it automatically opens them up a little bit. So, you know, the seat becomes a little bit flatter. You know, but it, it's it's more wide open. You know, the presumption being that if you're in comfort mode, you know, you're not going to be driving too briskly through corners. You're going to be driving a little more leisurely. And so you don't need quite as much lateral support. So, you know, little details like that, you know, actually make a huge difference. 
you know, no massaging seats, unfortunately. Oh, but, I was going to say, did it have massaging seats? Yeah, no, not not in this one. <laughs> uh, but, and so that, know, that actually sounds ridiculous, but they do keep you more alert, which is... Oh, yeah. Well, especially on a long road trip, it it does make yeah. a, a big difference having massaging seats, you know, just just something to rub your back. I mean, if you're in the car for, you know, three, four hours at a stretch, you know, having something that can just roll over your back, you know, and, and you know, just let you know, basically relax you a little bit, but also keep you alert at the same time uh, does make a big difference. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and it sounds like that's a car that would be good for a long road trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, this one, um, you know, a lot of cars now, you know, have uh, wireless phone chargers uh, built in, you know, so Qi charging pads. So you can drop you just drop your phone on there and it, it you know starts charging if you have have one that's compatible. The K900, uh, at least the luxury trim level, um, also has one in the back. So when you put down, if you put down the center armrest, fold down the center armrest in the back, you have um, a slot there for a cheap wireless charging pad for your phone. Uh, but it's also got individual controls back there for the climate control. So you got four zone climate control, uh, heating and cooling for the back seats as well as the front seats. Um, you know, you've got, you can also take control of the, uh, audio system from the back and, you know, change the, uh, change the station or, you know, adjust the volume things like that from the back seat, you know, so that, you know, if somebody's being, having somebody drive them around as opposed to, uh, you know, doing the driving, you know, they can, uh, they can manage all that from the back. So, you know, the, this is clearly a very well thought out car. Oh, and the and the back seats also recline. No no foot rests, unfortunately, um, that come out. But but the back seats do recline, uh, so you can you can really get comfortable back there. So it's basically it's an S class for somebody who doesn't care about the brand, doesn't want to spend S class money, but wants the features. I'm sure liveries are probably uh, salivating over them. Um, but what is what's the price on it? The the one that I had uh, all in, including uh, delivery charge, came to uh, sixty four nine eighty or eight ninety five. So just shy of sixty five thousand dollars. That's so much car for the money. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, there are things that you will get in an S class that you don't get here, like you know the the you know massaging seats. Uh, you don't get you know you'll get that in in an S class that costs twice as much or or more. Uh, but you know, it's this is. For what you get here, I mean, this is such an amazing value. And, you know, if you're in the market for a luxury sedan, and like you say, you're not you're not necessarily, you don't really care about the uh, the brand image. Uh, you know, not, not that Kia, you know, has a, a bad brand image anymore. I mean, you know, they've hit the, the top of the J.D. Power initial quality surveys for the last two years in a row. Uh, handily beating out Mercedes and and other German premium brands, so you know you're you're getting you're just getting so much for your money here. Yeah, well, and it's not like you give up anything in terms of of uh, you know design or um, comfort or anything. You know, it's not like you buy the Kia and it looks frumpy or anything like that. Yeah, it's, no, it's they, a very they, handsome car. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think the biggest challenge. Well, first of all, and don't forget too is that you're going to get the ten year, hundred thousand mile powertrain warranty on it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think it's really just the country club set, you know, saying it's the, you know, oh, what are you driving today kind of thing. Oh, I drive a Kia. There are still going to be people that aren't are too brand conscious to 
care about the value, you know, so it just depends upon their, their perceptions. But, um, you know, Kia still struggles in terms of, of some of the consideration getting on that. And, and that's the challenge that they have. But Sam, as you say, they're continuing to build the brand and products like this, I think, can really push it much farther than people ever expected. I mean, you know, when I first encountered Kia back in the mid 1990s, when I was still working as an engineer, when, you know, as they were preparing to enter the uh, the U.S. market under their own name before they went through their before they went bankrupt and got uh, and Hyundai took control of them, um, you know, I I had the opportunity to experience the first models that they were bringing to the U.S. market, the the first generation Sportage and the uh, the Sophia. Um, and let's just say that in 1994, I would never expected to take a car like the K900 seriously. You know, it's, this is not, this is not a car that I would have expected from Kia, you know, when I first encountered them 25 years ago. Yeah. I think it's almost safe to say even in 2014 that you may not have taken this as seriously. You know, they really have come a very long way in a very short time just in the last few years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of Mercedes, Benz. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the country club set can go to hell, first. <laughs> Second of all, I'm driving one of their cars right now. I have a, a Mercedes-Benz E450 uh, 4Matic, which is, like I said, it's a dandy podcast studio. Holy crap, is it a good car. Like, it's it's... It, I, I really, 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 I love this car. I don't want to give it back. Um, I've always really liked the E-Class. You know, it's, it, it is, it's the Mercedes. You know, for forever, the E-Class has been sort of the quintessential Mercedes, other than the, the S-Class. But really, uh, throughout the decades, the E-Class e was like, it was the midsize sedan and wagon uh, car that Mercedes made. And so it's always good. Uh, this generation is really, really good. I think it, it's understated, but it's very handsome. Looks-wise, it actually looks, uh, you know, tidy and, and light. You know, they did a nice job um, going from a, an earlier version that was a little bit Baroque in its styling. You know, it had some, some, some weird kind of elements, you know, like these, these little uh, arches over the rear wheels that reminded me of the Impala. They, they did away with that. So it's just a clean-looking car. Um, and inside, all the materials are phenomenal. Uh, everything you touch feels like it's worth it. Um, and it, it is a $90,000 car, um, which is absurd for an E-Class. Um, but it And that's it not drives... even the most expensive one. No, uh, but it drives like a million bucks. It's got the, it's the three liter twin turbo V6, very powerful. Um, it has uh, adaptive damping or adjustable damping, so it rides like it's on a cloud. Uh, Formatic with uh, winter tires and AMG wheels, you know the AMG look. So it looks sharp. It it doesn't have a problem with the winter weather that we just had. Um, it's super comfortable, massaging seats. Uh, you know the steering is pretty it's precise it, it very responsive so as a driver who likes driver's cars is pleasing as somebody who is getting softer and softer in his old age uh, the, the the luxury at least your is body is if not your if yeah not your, oh definitely uh, your demeanor <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know I'm, I'm catching up 
Um, but it's got the Designo leather seat. So this one's specced out very nicely. Um, you can get an E-Class. Uh, I don't know about the E450 uh, dipping into the low 60s, but I, th I think that's about where it starts, low to mid 60s with the 450, and the, the, the 350 is obviously cheaper. Um, but it's just, you know, it's it's solid as a rock. Uh, all the ADAS stuff is, I mean, I'm using it right now. It's it's very, very good. Uh, you know, nicely tuned. So, you know, the Lincoln Nautilus I had last week had a, a pretty comprehensive suite of ADAS on it, but it was a little more herky-jerky in the way it, it worked. Uh, the Mercedes... And, and BMWs tend to do this too. The German cars are just tuned so that they they drive themselves like a driver. And it's not full autonomous driving, let's be clear. But the features have uh, a bit of... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's like this... Um, it's a little bit of like ramping up, ramping down, like, like logarithmic action to the way they intervene that is, is smoother than just sort of a very linear sort of, you know, aggressive response. So it's it's a more luxurious experience in that sense. It just feels more high quality. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just a, it's a lovely car. And the adaptive headlights, I think this is the first car I've driven with adaptive headlights. They are amazing. Um, have you guys experienced? I'm sure, yes, you, you, you must have. You drive everything before I do. Um, <laughs> But just, I was surprised that they're very different from regular headlamps. Yeah, I've, I've driven numerous cars with adaptive headlamps, including the K900. Um, and it, it is nice, you know, to, you know, as you, as you turn, you know, especially, you know, when you're driving through a residential neighborhood, you know, coming home uh, or, or even, you know, out in the countryside uh, where, the, you know, the ambient lighting is not as good. You know, to have the the lights turn into the corner, you know, so you can see what's you know what you're driving into, makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, there's that, but there's also like the way the high beams operate. Um, it's like the pattern goes up and then opens out from the middle, mm -hmm. and maybe it's just a Mercedes thing, but it's really um, it's impressive. It's impressively good, and and the throw is good, and. I, I, in a past life with my Volvos, I was very geeky about the lighting, so um, I, I pay attention to that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to knock a $90,000 car that's very, very well equipped, and so that's where we're at with the, the E-Class. I do wonder, though, at $90,000 for a mid-sized sedan, like, who buys these? Because th what I've noticed is, you know, the, the people who do buy them, uh, or, or I see it, and they're, they're always, they've always got a new one. So it's almost like they're leasing them, or they're flipping them, or, or whatever. So I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really having trouble. As much as I like it, I, there's no way I could ever justify a car that costs, you know, at least uh, almost a third of what the median home price is in the United States. Like, that's, that's a lot of dough for a car. But most of them are being leased. I mean, in my misspent youth, I worked for Mercedes-Benz Credit. So I will tell you that the majority <laughs> of them are being leased and they're, and they're leased by businesses. You know, they're leased by, by people that have their own company and such. And, and, but I also, you know, just hearing you talk, Dan, just hearing you describe the different, the adaptive headlamps and such, this is the difference between a K900, you know, uh, trying to be luxury 
and the authenticity of Mercedes Benz. I mean, it's not obviously it's not the K nine hundred is not a not a ninety thousand dollar vehicle, but the you know that Mercedes is there is just something iconic and authentic about that kind of luxury. I mean, you want to talk about gravitas? It definitely has it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, to to what you were saying a minute ago, you know, about the driver assist system on there, you know, for example, the the Mercedes Intelligent Drive System. You know, I've driven. You know, I I drove the uh, the E four AMG E forty three about a year and a half ago, and I've driven the the S class. You know, with with an even more advanced version of it, and and you know, that's that's a prime example of you know where there is. A difference, um, you know, between that and something like the K900. You know, the the K900's, um, you know, lane keeping assist and its adaptive cruise control work really well. But you know, when you get into something like the the Mercedes, you know, it it does feel distinctly more refined, um, especially the lane keeping uh, system, you know, the lane centering system. And you know, one of the things that Mercedes does is they they also incorporate you know the map data as one of the inputs to their system. So you know as you approach a curve on a, you know as you're driving down the highway as you approach approach a curve or even you know on a rural road you know if you know if it sees that the the curve up ahead is a little bit too tight for the speed that you're going and if you've got the cruise control set it will automatically reduce your speed as you approach that curve. Uh, or even, you know, coming, you know, coming to a roundabout, you know, or if you flip on the turn signal to make a turn as you the, as you approach the next corner or you approach that roundabout, it'll automatically slow you down to a speed that you can get through that, you know, um, you know, safely. And uh, so you don't even have to touch the brake pedal. And then once you finish that maneuver, it'll automatically resume whatever speed you had set. You know, so things like that, you know, there's that that extra bit of effort that's gone into that, into the, the, you know, a vehicle like a Mercedes to make things like that work just that little bit better. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, palpable, you know, and things that I normally don't like, you know, like big, this car has quite a bit of screen in it. Um, but you can, (laughs) that's one way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. You can, you can shut it off. You know, like I've got the center screen off right now. So you can get the interior dark enough. Um, that you're not ruining your night vision. And that's actually something that I have a problem with most Hyundais and Kias is I can't get the interiors dark enough at night for my, my taste. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just... I really like the way they allow you to personalize it, too. You know, th- settings are tied to the key fob. You can set up your custom drive profile in it so you can use the, you know, the eco mode, which almost freewheels uh, in places. You'll just watch the tachometer drop to zero as you're coasting downhill on the highway. And that's, so that's interesting to me in, in eco mode. Um, but also you can set up eco mode to have the sport suspension and steering settings if you want if you, in your individual settings. So it's very flexible that way. And then just, you know, all of the, the comfort settings and things. And, and German cars are really good about that. And, and me as a control freak, I really like that. You know, I can set the, like the seat heating uh, profile in it. And it has, I just, I don't want to gush. It's a $90,000 midsize sedan. It freaking better be nice, you know. <laughs> um, but also just the, the features, they, they sound opulent. But if you spend a lot of time in the car, you know, I drove, I'm coming back from a, an event where I, I got to see um, the new Altima tonight up close. Um, and so 
I'm driving now and it's an hour and a half drive and I had, drove down stepped out of the car fresh as a daisy because of, of the the uh, massaging seats and just how sort of refined it is on the road um, you know it, it's it makes a difference if you're spending a lot of time in the car which I guess you would if you you were using it for a business I just like that's a huge expense for a business so you, I hope you're writing it off for something because it's like even a lease for for a car like this uh, monthly cost has got to be really high and that's that's what I keep coming back to like I guess if money is no object yeah sure have at it but if if, if you're concerned about the the cost of the car um, you know me with my sort of more blue collar roots um, I'd be looking at the Kia and going yeah it's not quite as good but it, it's way more affordable that that reminds me I forgot to mention one one very cool feature of the uh, the Kia um, it's got uh, a digital instrument cluster and um, you know so it's got the two main round gauges but when you turn on the turn signal uh, it there's the cameras there's cameras on the mirror housings that um, show you the the view back so when you turn on the turn signal instead of you don't have to or you, even if you don't glance over at the the mirror you will see what's there you'll see you'll see the view from that camera right in the cluster right in front of you so if you turn on the right turn signal you'll see it in the right gauge or the left one will be on the left gauge and it gives you a really crystal clear view of what's directly in that blind spot area plus it also has the radar based blind spot monitors so it's really interesting sam because i found that to be very distracting that feature of having it appear directly in front of me i just i got used to it after a little while but i can't say that i really used it i just personally it, it's very much a personal thing but when i was driving yeah. in, in korea i found that to be really distracting now it sounds a little bit different uh so i'll have to see if i get a chance to drive it in the states um because again mine was the korean spec but i had a hard time with that one well, I also, I, uh, the Honda, was it, Lane Watch or something uh, similar? Yes. I also find that distracting, but I, I think that's, I think you're right. I think it's a personal thing. And I also wonder if it's sort of like a, hey, if you can't beat them, like, there's a lot of people that just don't know how to use the mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe if you're putting it on the TV screen in front of them, they'll at least look at it. That, <laughs> and, and that is a very good point. And, it, and it's always aimed correctly. Yeah, hey, it's worth a shot. I have to ask you guys this about that Honda um, lane sensing. What is it called? That the where it appears lane in the, in the lane, right lane watch. watch. Yeah. Lane watch. Yeah. I, yeah, that's that's not usually my blind spot. Like I never yeah. understand why it's, it's not that, on the left side. That system sucks. Okay. <laughs> I, I have, we have we have a Honda with with lane watch, and that is the one thing that if I could remove it from that car. I would, you know, everything we love, everything else about the the Civic, but Lane Watch is is terrible, and they you know they should just get rid of it and just do radar based blind spot monitors like everybody else does. Okay. Well, yeah, I I don't typically, I you, you know I set my mirrors so there's not much of a blind spot, if at all, anyway. You know, I I started driving at a time. The problem with Lane Watch. Um, on the on the Hondas is it's only on the right hand side, right? And and the and it shows up in the center display, 
So if you're looking at it, you know, you're, you know, the, the mirror is within your line of sight anyway. So it's, it's, it's I don't understand useless. it. Like, I don't understand how it's useful. It's, it's not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've had a very luxurious week with automobiles. Um, let's move on to some, let's luxuriate in the topics. Uh, Cause there's, there's a few things we wanted to, to discuss. So Sam, what's first on the list? All right, so let, let's start off with uh, Piac Automotive, uh, the, their new Mark Zero. Uh, and this right. is a new brand that's going to debut at the uh, Geneva Auto Show in a couple of weeks. Is that uh, seriously what the brand is called, Mark Zero? Because that sounds like a bad that's Tinder the, that's date. The, that's the first model that they're bringing out. The brand is Piac Automotive. It sounds like a uh, bad Tinder date name. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, this is... Uh, Anton Piek's new new company, and and uh, you may recognize that name. Uh, his uh, his his father was a guy named Ferdinand who uh, used to be uh, in charge at Volkswagen. No ego involved at all. No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, and his his uh, great grandfather his great grandfather was Ferdinand Porsche. Uh, so you know, there's, there's quite a, a a strong automotive lineage there. Um, Anton is uh, starting a new car brand. Um, and they're going to, they're going to kick off with, um, with a two seat, uh, sports car that, uh, they released some sketches of it and a, and a teaser photo. Um, and so the first one is called the Mark zero and it's, uh, strangely enough, it's going to be electric, uh, but it's also designed to be able to accommodate, uh, different powertrain combinations, including an internal combustion engine. Uh, it doesn't have a typical skateboard chassis that we're seeing on a lot of EVs now, um, but it, it's modular. And uh, apparently it does not uh, get anything from the Volkswagen group. There's no affiliation with the VW group. And it's, it's a co- the company is based in Zurich, Switzerland. Uh, you know, this again from this family. Come on, guys. Do something different. <laughs> uh, all, all joking aside it looks very much like what you'd expect to come from porsche lineage um i d- what's the over under you guys think about it actually being more than a curiosity that like we look back on in two years and go hey remember when they were going to launch that car what do you think rebecca i i mean it's it does look ex- it, just the little teaser part it looks exactly like a Porsche 911. So I think except, you know, except if you if you built a front engine 911. Right. Yes. Yeah. The proportions are different. But it. it <sighs> I mean, it, is this what the world needs? I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> um, I like the fact that it's electric. I think that's cool. I, you know, because I think electric has come a long way just in the last couple of years. So I think that's appropriate. Um, I really wish I was going to Geneva. I would love to see it. There's actually a lot of stuff I would love to see in Geneva. Uh, but I, I just, I feel like when you've got that much family heritage that you've got to do something that's really different if you're going to establish yourself. Because you look at this and think, why wouldn't I just buy a Porsche? Well, when you're the Pieck family and you're no longer involved, you know, I think that that to me is sort of the bad taste in my mouth about this venture is just the way the way Ferdinand Pieck exited Volkswagen and Porsche was not it was kind of it was under a cloud. And so this is almost like his little 
uh, hurt ego project uh, coming back like, oh, well, I'll just have my son build the car. And I don't know if that's what it is or not, so it's just it's just conjecture. Um, you know, you know, it's going to be something expensive. It, it's not, like you said, it's not really groundbreaking. I'm just, I, I'm not sure, and maybe that's, it's not the plan to actually ever really build and sell more than a, a few hundred or a few thousand of these uh, per year, you know, to, and to be very exclusive. And, you know, I think the people that buy exclusive cars will, will probably buy some. Um, well, I, I don't know what the plan is beyond that, and I don't think, I don't know if anybody does yet, so. Well, according, according to the story in Autocar, it says uh, following this initial coupe, uh, they also would like to add a sedan and an SUV to the portfolio. So uh, appar- apparently they, you know, they, they want to stick around for a while. Uh, you know, I, I agree. You know, I think that, you know, it's it's it looks nice uh, from, you know, from what we can see in these sketches. But, you know, there there is nothing particularly special or, you know, it doesn't break any new ground. Uh, in you know either from a technological or design standpoint. Well, I guess we don't know yet, technology-wise, right? Like it could have some some sort of EV stuff in it that uh, could be interesting and and innovative. Uh, I guess you know the details aren't out there yet. I, you know, from from a from a small startup, uh, I think that's doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help them out, you know. <laughs> They do. They do claim it'll have a, a range of 311 miles uh, on the new WLTP cycle, uh, which is it's a much more realistic test cycle than the old European cycle. So it says that we stand on the shoulders of giants, but refuse to bow to industry conve- convention. What does that mean? That's the, that's on their website. What does that mean? <laughs> beats the beats the hell out of me. Especially when when this when this thing looks utterly conventional. <laughs> oh my. There's a word in German for that. It's scheiß. <laughs> I mean, even at least the the you know the karma, for instance, is distinctive and, and looks different. But this, I, well, as I said, it, it'll be fascinating. Sam, are you going to Geneva? No, I'm not. Unfortunately. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm going to be traveling for a holiday, but. Um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what comes out of there. Yeah, well, and you know, the karma that you, you mentioned, like, that was, gosh, the karma was what, 2010? Uh, well, the, the new one yeah, that's come it, out. Well, it, it first appeared in 2008. Yeah, so that was much more groundbreaking and revolutionary back then to take the Chevy Volt hardware and sort of wrap it around a, a new very high-end car that that that, in, that idea had legs and traction well, it, and honestly, it didn't actually use it didn't actually use volt hardware you know it, was, it used a similar you know propulsion concept to the volt but okay. it, the, there was nothing from the volt other you know and the, they they bought the two liter turbo four cylinders from gm but that's that's not something that was ever used in the volt i thought it used the um the t-shaped battery and stuff too well, it had, it had a T-shaped battery, but it was it was from A one two three. It was it was something completely different. It didn't share. There were no other. There were no parts that were shared with the Volt. Okay, so it was at least it, it was it, it a took, similar it, idea, like you said. It was the concept. Yeah, it, it took it took some inspiration from the Volt. I mean, that car was was different, and it, their their biggest issue was they just sort of ran out of money. Right, but um, now they're back. Not, the cars are. The car well, is back and, now with the Aliso. And, 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 the, and the car was also severely under-engineered. 
Well, they were going fast, you know. <laughs> you gotta because you gotta get units out there, right? It was, this is all, a Tesla it was thing. all about form get... over function in that car. Yeah, it was. It um, was. It was very heavy, and you know, it was tight inside. It it did not, you know, it did not perform as well as anticipated because it was so heavy, and yeah, you know, there there were there were a lot of issues. But I think, but the new one will be very interesting to see what Karma does with the Rivero. Yeah. You know, since they've been revitalized. Have they given any indication when they're going to show that off? Uh, they're showing it, well, very soon. I mean, there's there's actually advertising. When I was out in California, uh, there was advertising going on at, like, the Newport Beach shopping mall and such. So, And they're hiring like crazy. I know, I know I've seen some ads for the current one, you know, which is the, you know, the, the reborn Fisker karma, but yeah, maybe they'll, maybe they'll show it in New York. I think they're going to do something in New York. They're definitely going to be doing a big push. So, um, there's, you know, Chinese backers that are, uh, in, that have invested in it. And as I said, they're, they're definitely hiring and really trying to, uh, to reestablish themselves. Well, we'll, we'll see. see. We will. I, as that's that's the, the universal wrap up. Time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, let's put it this way. I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've we've seen more than a few uh, EV startups stumble. So more than a few. Speaking of stumbling. <laughs> uh, what a segue. Shall, shall, shall we go to Ford or Tesla first? Uh, let's let's go to Ford. Okay. So. Uh, Ford uh, late this afternoon uh, put out a, a press release, put out an announcement that uh, they are currently they they discovered uh, back in September uh, some employees raised a concern through an internal uh, program that they have at Ford called Speak Up uh, that allows people to employees to report issues that they've found, and some employees um, raised an issue with the uh, analytical modeling that's part of the uh, U.S. fuel economy and emissions comp- uh, testing process. And so just for some, some background on this, uh, you know, when, when they do the fuel economy and emissions testing, um, all of that testing, currently at least in the, in the U.S., is done in the lab. It's done on a dynamometer. And what they do is before they actually start testing the car, you know, doing the, doing the official tests on the dynamometer, they go out and they uh, do, run some tests on the vehicle on the on the test track, and they do what they call coast down tests. And you know, so they measure a bunch of data from that. You know, that gives them gives them some parameters uh, that fact that allow them to factor in things like rolling resistance and aerodynamic drag and weight, um, and you know, the overall friction in the vehicle. Uh, you know, so they get it up to a speed and basically let it coast down and see how long it takes to to get down to a lower speed. And then from that, they they take all that data and they feed it into um, into a, a, a formula that uh, they then use the output from that to set up the dynamometer, you know, the resistance on the dynamometer so that it, it replicates um, what the car would be getting if they were actually testing it on the road. Or at least that's the theory. Um, there have been instances in the past where companies have, uh, done some part of this process incorrectly and ended up with settings on the dynamometer that gave, 
um, less resistance than the car would actually encounter in the real world, which in turn yields um, (laughs) lower fuel consumption or uh, higher fuel or lower fuel consumption, higher, higher fuel efficiency numbers than the vehicle is actually capable of. And, you know, Hyundai got busted for this back in about 2012 or 2013 uh, and had to go back and um, retest the vehicles and change the fuel economy label numbers on those vehicles. And they issued a bunch of um, uh, refund checks, uh, rebate checks to customers that bought those vehicles. Um, And then about a year later, Ford got busted for the same thing in in 2014. There were six cars, uh, including all their hybrids and plug-in hybrids and the uh, the Fiesta that they ended up having to relabel. Um, and now it oh, appears to have their, happened their again. Plug-in hybrids, I, yeah, I remember the like the C Max when it first hit. Everybody was, you know, the the stickers. We weren't getting anywhere near the stickers when we drove them as as media cars. We're like, well, something's wrong with here. Yeah, well, they came, the C Max came out, you know, with a fuel economy rating of forty-seven miles per gallon, uh, city, highway, and combined, and um, pretty much nobody was ever able to replicate that in the real world. Yeah, it was like a solid '30s car, which was, you know, was good, but not that good. Yeah. So what happened this time? Like they, they so, caught it and they decided <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get out ahead of this before we get caught again. Yeah. So they you know they discovered the problem um, you know before EPA came back to them and they've hired uh, some uh, an outside firm to conduct an investigation into their their procedures uh, and their testing procedures um, and also to um, some technical some outside technical experts uh, to. Uh, work uh, with Ford to figure out what went wrong and, and fix the problem, um, and also a lab to conduct some further testing, some independent coast-down testing. And the first vehicle that they're doing this with is the 2019 Ranger. And if they find that there is, in fact, a discrepancy from uh, from what what it should, you know, from the way it should have been tested, um, then they will, you know, then from there they will go back and start looking at other vehicles from the last couple of model years. So why does it keep happening? Well, one thing is uh, back in 2017, uh, you know, after these problems with Hyundai and and Ford and and some other manufacturers, um, I think Mini also had a problem at one point. Um, they the EPA uh, issued some new guidance on the procedures for how they're supposed to do this testing. And at that time, you know, you may recall that uh, starting in the 2017 model year, there were a lot of cars. Uh, mo- in fact, you know, most new cars, uh, even ones that were largely carryover, ended up getting um, new fuel economy numbers that were they, they lost one or two or three miles per gallon from their their previous model year fuel economy ratings because you know nothing changed on the vehicles but they changed the test procedures and it's possible that at that time and this, you know, I mean, this is pure speculation uh right now because we we don't know what happened but it's possible that you know Ford somehow misinterpreted those um those new that new guidance those new procedures that EPA uh, gave them and essentially just did the tests wrong and you know so the you know or the calculations were done wrong uh and thus they you know they ended up with perhaps higher fuel economy numbers than they should have gotten i think you know it's the interesting thing about all this is that 
This has been going on for a while, but ever since the Volkswagen diesel scandal, which I think was quite different than this uh, because of the deliberateness and, and the intent of the diesel scandal, it, it gets such headlines and everyone just kind of goes a little like, oh my gosh, is this another one? Is this another one? But I actually commend Ford for the fact that they they used this, uh, you know, the fact that that some of the employees were raising concerns that they took them seriously enough to look into it. So I think mm-hmm. that's a real positive here. Yeah, you know, Ford, Ford came out with this, you know, before regulators came back to them, or at least that, that appears to be the case. I mean, we don't know for sure. EPA hasn't commented yet that I know of, um, you know, and Ford doesn't mention anything about it. It says, they said that they were the ones that notified the, the EPA and the California Air Resources Board. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's a good sign that the manufacturer you know, is the one that initiated, initiated this, this investigation. investigation. Right. And, yeah, that, and that they're, they're, the employees will feel empowered to continue to speak up about concerns that they have because they're being taken seriously. So I think that's a positive uh, for, for Ford Motor Company and for the culture within Ford. Yeah, that's definitely, I think when you're running an organization, any organization, but especially something like a, an automaker. So when you're running an organization as large as an automaker, you know, people having anybody being being able to speak up and not uh not fear retribution i think is that's a really big deal you know um we 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 saw it has a chilling effect at other automakers right that's why gm they buried the the ignition switch problem right i mean i think that the the changing the culture of these companies to be one of uh, proactively reporting these things. I mean, you know, thinking back to the the factories at Toyota, where you were you were expected to pull and stop the line if you found a problem, and that certainly was not the culture within Detroit for years. And so, I think this is just a very it's a very positive thing. Obviously, it's not positive that there's some kind of miscalculation going on here, but I think it's an, it's indicative of, of a positive cultural change within Ford that this type of behavior is reported, encouraged, and investigated. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate for, um, I, I think, what we're, because of the environment we're in with the pressure on um, fuel economy, you know, there's, there's still that fight going on between the federal government and California over fuel economy and that seems to have broken down right now and so to just cast more doubt on fuel economy numbers is, is really not what we need at the moment to make that debate shift it, for me in the direction that I think it should go where we, we should have tighter restrictions on emissions I think that's you, they've driven innovation and I don't think they're too expensive and even if it costs money um, the costs if we don't small. do it are far worse yeah absolutely so I, I think any any time we've got an issue like this, it's it's not helpful. But being responsive to it and correcting it is, is pretty much the only good way you can go about it. Agreed. Okay. That's now good. on to on to the next stumble. Uh, <laughs> Tesla. Ah, uh, Tesla. Yeah. Uh, I mean, okay. Well, let's let's set it up before we just go completely off the deep end. <laughs> so. What so <laughs> the, the the latest departure from from Tesla's executive ranks uh, this morning, is, as we record this on Thursday night, uh, it was announced that uh, uh, 
oh, what the hell is his name? The general counsel. Yeah, their their general counsel, who they just hired in in December, um, is leaving um, after just barely two months uh, after joining the company. And what's kind of interesting about this um, is this particular general counsel, this, this lawyer that they hired, was from a very respected law firm, and his uh, his background is in litigation, and Tesla, you know, is under currently under a number of investigations from the SEC and the Department of Justice uh, relating to a, a variety of different things relating to some of their accounting practices and um, Elon's Twitter account and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and so it was believed that when they hired hired this lawyer, that they um, uh, you know, they were preparing, you know, to be going, you know, to go to court, you know, to defend themselves uh, and wanted wanted somebody wanted somebody whose background was in litigation as their chief lawyer. Uh, and you know, now, apparently, after having looked around uh, inside the company, he's decided that he's got better places to be uh, and, and has decided to move on. And they uh, now they promoted another lawyer from inside the company who is uh, Comments he uh, made previously made to uh, during the SEC investigation indicate that he's a he's a true believer in Elon uh, and he will not dispute anything that Elon says. So That's great. So yeah, he's gonna go to jail. I gotta tell you, I I think I don't know when I heard this guy was leaving. I thought, wait a minute, because I remember meeting the general counsel for Tesla at an event actually that was run by Carb. And it wasn't that guy. <laughs> so then I, so I don't know how many people they've gone through, but they have had uh, quite the exodus of executives uh, leaving the company. And, you know, there's that kind of instability that, you know, the stock market doesn't like it. Um, I think that there's a lot of, of intellectual legacy that's going away as well. And then it also just calls into question people, other executives look and say, why is everybody, why do people only stay for a couple of months? There's got to be something going on here. So I think right now um, the 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 number is 40 executives have left since 2016. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah uh, actually, yeah, it's, it's 45 uh, in the last 18 months and over 70 in the last two years. Woo. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know, another one, another one with a very short tenure uh, was just last summer. Um, they uh, they they hired a ch- new chief accounting officer yes. who left after only a month. He was there for a hot minute. Uh, when you're like money person and your lawyer split after just months, that's not a good look. Yeah. But let's also consider because uh, Tesla fancies themselves a startup. So. Obviously, that rate of turnover is very high for an established automaker. And uh, I think that rate of turnover is also high for a startup. But um, high turnover is not uncommon when you are trying to be an innovative company and you are trying to, you know, you you are a startup like that. that, It's like 30 percent is pretty normal. Of turnover. Well, and, and especially in California, because you know one of one of the things that has made you know places like Silicon Valley um, possible is that in California uh, the law does not allow companies to enforce non compete agreements, and so it's easy for somebody to leave and go to another company and go work for a competitor. 
so that that you know that does make the turnover there you know especially in the startup community you know considerably higher than in most other places but still this kind of turnover you know this number of executives leaving you know in such a short period of time uh and and having you know multiple people leave the same job you know in short periods of time is you know it's really unheard of especially in a company as large as tesla Te- you know tesla is not a startup anymore i mean they've been around for almost 16 years now and you know this is not a startup anymore this this is a company with you know almost you know 40,000 employees you know they they have to be treated as a you know and and examined as a real company not not as you know some up and comer yeah i think well, that we get back to the you know they were a teenager and they were going through the teenage years for a long time, but now they're ad- they're an adult and now they need to start acting like adults. Well, I mean, if they're an adult, they're they're not uh, they're not living up to their potential. Um, you know, speaking of treating them like an established car maker, when you evaluate their cars on that, you know, from that perspective, uh, they don't they don't do quite as well. Um, if you give them a pass as a startup, then you say, yeah, they're, they're still learning. Uh, it's easy to overlook stuff, but, you know, consumer reports <laughs> just just uh, sort of delisted Tesla from their recommendations for, for the same reason. They, they were evaluating them among their competitive set, and they don't measure up. Yeah, t- consumer reports did their annual reliability survey among their members, and you know t- uh, the model, th- and this is in particular the Model 3, the, um, you know, the reliability uh, numbers for the model three were substantially lower than average. You know, and so they decided that they could no longer recommend the model three, even though, um, you know, customers reported being very satisfied with the cars. They liked their cars, but they just weren't very reliable. And so consumer reports decided they couldn't recommend them anymore. Yeah. So uh, I, I think all of this chaos is, is interconnected. And I think, Sam, you've nailed it in the past when you uh, point out that one of the biggest problems Tesla, Tesla has is one of its greatest assets, too, is, is Elon Musk. Um, he's, he's not a good manager. No, he's a, he's a terrible manager. Yeah, yeah and, he's and, good at a lot of other stuff, but he's not a good manager, and that's what they need. Yeah, you know, and uh, the, the, the lawyer who just left uh, as the general counsel position, Dan Butzwinkas is his name. Um, he's he's a, a Washington trial lawyer, and what's interesting about the timing of this is that um, you know he he uh, he represented Musk uh, when he was sued by the SEC last year after the the infamous you know taking private tweet, um, and part of that settlement was that um, Tesla and Musk agreed that um, any any comments any statements made by Musk. Um, uh, on Twitter or any other medium would have to be uh, reviewed by, you know, by an internal review panel uh, from Tesla uh, before they, before they were published. And the departure of Mr. Butswinkas comes one day after Elon was doing an interview yesterday with Kathy Wood, the, the head of a, of a company called Ark Invest, a, a hedge fund called Ark Invest, um, who infamously, you know, has projected that Tesla's stock is going to go to four thousand dollars a share. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're going to be the next Amazon. Yeah, we we don't need to go down that path right now. But but um, you know, during that interview, 
you know, Musk said, um, you know, that they would build five, that Tesla would build 500,000 cars this year, which, you know, that statement is a material statement about what the company is going to do this, this year. You know, well, that's are they the even sort capable? No, they're not. But, I don't, but, but, you know, the thing is four, four hours late and he tweeted that out that they're going to build 500,000 cars in 2019. Four hours later, he deleted the tweet and said, no, he misspoke that by the end of the year, they will be building cars at a 400, at a 500,000 annual run rate, you know, basically 10,000 cars a week, um, which they've, they've never achieved up to this point. Yeah. That's not the same thing. No. Right. And so, you know, clearly, you know, what he tweeted out, had not been reviewed by anybody else. He he pushed this out, you know, without you know without any review. And you know, recently in another in an interview on sixty minutes, he said he doesn't respect the SEC. And so you know, it seems like uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, but Swink is you know didn't comment on any of this. But I wouldn't be surprised if he just looked at all this shit and just threw up his hands and said, "I'm out of here. Yeah. I, I can't I mean, deal with good this." Good for you for for not getting any on you. Just get yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, he's he's going he's going back to his old law firm. Yeah. Oh, boy. If I were a car executive, I would be just just quiet and head down. I wouldn't even tweet. Just I I'd be so easy to deal with. Somebody should hire me. Yeah. All right, what else we got here? Yes. So this also came out today and got quite a bit of coverage. Uh as I drove into New York this morning, I uh, was listening to uh, Jeff Gilbert, actually, on WWJ. Always a nice. favorite of mine. Uh, you can't get WWJ in New York. On um, a, a, a CBS you? 880. He, he's, he's on uh, uh, Jeff's uh, reports go out on CBS radio. Yeah. All right. I used to listen to CBS to fall asleep. Yeah. CBS AM <laughs> is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. It's the best. It has a rhythm. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Quite all right. <laughs> so um, this was uh, the I- IIHS, the Institute for Insurance and Highway Safety, I think it's called. Yeah, Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. Insurance Institute for Highway yeah, Safety. Yeah. Thank you. So they did, uh, they tested nine crossovers uh, in the pedestrian avoidance test. Uh, and uh, they basically went over and, and looked to say, how are these things doing? And so... Um, interestingly, some of the smaller vehicles uh, actually did uh, quite well on this. And so the Honda CRV, the Subaru Forester, the Toyota RAV4, and the absolutely adorable Volvo XC40, which I know we haven't talked about, but at some point I did. I do want to tell you about driving that car for the week. Um, they all got superior ratings. And then some of the larger ones, like the Chevy Equinox, I... Uh, that actually got an advanced, which was very good, but not as good. The Mitsubishi Outlander got what they call basic. And then shockingly to me, because having owned BMWs, I always felt that they were very safe. Uh, apparently they're driver safe, but not pedestrian safe. Right, they're safe for the driver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the BMW X1 got no credit, basically failing, which I found to be quite shocking and and something that i would think bmw would certainly want to address i don't know i mean it seems about on par for bmw where the driver just does not care look don't be walking where i'm driving but also i like, was the bmw driver that used their indicator <laughs> you were you were the one i was the yeah. one <laughs> you just said joke about the porcupines and stuff um but uh 
that's an amazing result for Mitsubishi, though, where now they can say, like, look, our system's better than BMW. And Barely, our car costs yes. $25,000. Okay, so now this is interesting. Whatever. So this is what they are. Actually, the article on Automotive News says, the BMW X1 did not meet any of the test parameters and was not rated. Um, be- because it did... It- and and it did not stop soon enough to avoid the pedestrian in any of the tests. Wow. Okay, but that's different. That's failing, right? Yeah. But to say not rated implies that. Yeah, yeah. That that that, that, that is odd that they gave it a, a no credit score. Yeah. Because um, IHS doesn't usually do that. I mean, they you know they will usually rate something you know as as good, fair, or poor. Right. And this, this, I mean, this, this is a new rate. I think this is the first time that they've done this, isn't it? I think so too. Yeah. It's a very, it says, um, vehicles rate as basic, advanced, or superior based on their ability to avoid or mitigate a crash with pedestrian dummies in three different test track scenarios run at different speeds. So that's where the superior, advanced, basic, and then no credit. And that's where the BMW fell under. Yeah, I think that the 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 BMW did not even attempt to brake. Yeah, it says it didn't it didn't brake at all in the uh, thirty seven mile an hour parallel adult test. So you know if there's a there's a video that you know I'll I'll embed the I'll embed the video in the uh, in the sh- in the post for the show, um, and you can see you know most of these vehicles go through the the Mitsubishi. Um, you know it. It did hit the pedestrian. Uh, you know, they they use a, a dummy, a pedestrian dummy, uh, crossing the road. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and they they actually have several different ones. You know, they have an adult that's crossing the road. There's three different tests. There's an adult crossing the road. There's an adult walking down the road in the same direction as the vehicle. And then there's one uh, where there's uh, a child size uh, mannequin that walks out from behind a parked car. Ah. And in you know, I think, I think the, the, the Outlander, Outlander um, did, did break, break, but it didn't slow down. down enough. It, it didn't. It didn't come to a complete, complete stop. stop. Um, and, and I think, I think the, the, same, the same same was true, true of the ones that, that at least in some of the tests that got, got the advanced rating. rating. I, think I think for the superior rating, it stopped short of the pedestrian in all 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 three tests. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, but the BMW just didn't break at all. So it's as if it didn't have a system. That's amazing. It's tuned to BMW standards. That's <laughs> right off. I'm sorry. Uh, I have to uh, say, I'm disappointed because yeah. I was actually just at a, a BMW event last week, and I I wish this had been last week because I definitely would have asked them about that because that's that's not good. Yeah, I, I feel like there's probably uh, some yelling going on in Stuttgart right now. Or Munich certainly. Oh, Munich. I'm sorry. Stuttgart's Mercedes. Ah, I got Mercedes on the <laughs> You're still gushing over that Mercedes. Oh, no, you don't want to gush. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what, what's that? My drive is almost over. So uh, do we want to hit any more topics or questions or uh, are we good? Uh, let's call it good for this, this week. Yeah. So, okay. so I'm going to be in India next week and uh, I don't know if I'll be able to call in or not, but I'm definitely going to report back on vehicles that I see. Okay. And if, if you can't call in, um, I'm going to try and see if we can uh, get somebody to, to sub in for you next week. Um, and uh, we'll leave that as a surprise uh, for now. 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, and uh, don't forget to, um, you know, to uh, check us out, you know, follow us on uh, Twitter at WheelBearingsCast. Um, and if you just search for WheelBearingsCast, um, you'll find the, the version with the right spelling in Twitter. Um, and you can shoot us uh, any questions or comments on Twitter or uh, use the contact form on the website at wheelbearings.media. Um, and, uh, you know, don't, if you you know, if you like the show, go on uh, iTunes and give us a rating. We've, we've gotten a, a whole bunch of good uh, reviews and ratings, but it never hurts to have more. You know, that's that's how uh, Apple um you know decides uh which ones to bump up which pod, which shows to bump up in the rankings so you know the more good ratings we have the better um and oh one one other thing don't forget i will also include this in the show notes um you know still got time to register for the nvidia gtc the gpu technology conference in san jose march uh, 18th to the 21st i will be out there um and you know if anybody's attending you know uh give me a shout uh try and catch up for a cup of coffee or something. And uh, there's a there's a, a discount code or the promo code that'll get you 20% off your registration for NVIDIA GTC. And I have to say, as the, this is my third podcast with you guys, I am so grateful for sure. this opportunity. Okay. It's been a lot of fun. And the, um, the welcoming notes and comments on Twitter and such have been, um, I'm very, very appreciative. They're, they warm my heart, so thank you. And, and we love having you here, Rebecca, because you, you do bring a, a you know, a, a very different perspective on a lot of this stuff, you know, both, you know, because you're a woman, but also, you know, just because of your background as well. Um, you know, it, you're coming to coming at this from a different place than either Dan or myself. And I think, you know, having that, you know, the, those different voices um, you know, helps make this more interesting. All right. Yeah, we've enjoyed it too. So thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Good. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you next week. Or talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.